Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. so thankful for worship this morning. It just really, really blessed me and encouraged me. And um, God is always speaking, but it was pretty clear this morning through the songs and the prophetic words coming through. And it was just, it was incredible. And I'm just thankful that he is speaking clearly this morning. Um, I was asked to speak on persevering in faith in both good and bad seasons. Uh, This topic applies to all of us today as we all find ourselves in one season or the other. And it's just as important to be focused on persevering in whichever season we might find ourselves because the temptation to not is equally as great in both. It is also worth mentioning that there's not a whole lot in our day-to-day lives that we need to persevere for. The definition of perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. I'm sure you are all aware that we live in a time of instant gratification. We take a picture and we have it. There's no need to wait for film to be developed. We need groceries, they show up on our doorstep. We have expedited shipping and access to anyone through texts, calls, or video chats. We are not required any patience or perseverance in the smallest areas of our lives. And if we lack the ability to persevere in basics, how then are we going to persevere in faith when it really counts in both the good times and the bad times? I would like to suggest this morning that our ability to persevere in faith is dependent on our revelation of the worthiness of Jesus. Is he worth it? I'm not here to convince you of anything else or of anyone else but Jesus and how entirely worthy he is of your perseverance in faith. It has been my prayer leading up to this day and it is my prayer even now that we would all leave with a deeper revelation of his worthiness. The passage we'll be looking at today is Hebrews 12, one through three. I know it's a book our church is familiar with, but let's turn there again uh, and be ready to flip back one chapter to chapter 11 as we'll be relying on that passage as well. Okay, let's read, starting in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Overall, this passage has an urgency to it. Let's not miss the urgency. The author used very active, very high energy verbs to get his point across. 
throw off and run, and not just run, but run with perseverance. It is an urgent call to an active life of faith that perseveres from start to finish. And those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we started this race. We may not all be in the same place, but we are somewhere. Some of us are pursuing it more actively than others. Some of us are thriving. Some of us are barely surviving. Some of us look like we are thriving in life, but we are barely surviving at faith. And some of us are thriving in our faith, but look to be barely surviving at life. Hopefully that wasn't too confusing. It's a messy race. Uh, as this passage suggests, it requires perseverance. But we signed up for it because we had a revelation of Jesus that compelled us to believe he was worth it. We cannot let this revelation fade or remain where it began. It needs to be fresh and continuously deepening in order to persevere. And it takes perseverance for it to stay fresh and deepening. Maybe you are here this morning and you have not signed up for the race. As I've already said, it is my prayer that Jesus would reveal himself to you today as worthy of your faith. How can we know? How can we know that Jesus is worthy? Let's go back to our passage. It begins by saying, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. How do we interpret that? First, we need to know who the witnesses are. The witnesses referred to here are listed in the previous chapter, which is sometimes known as the Hall of Faith. Um, so flip back there or press a button on your phone uh, to Hebrews 11 and take a look as I name them, some of them. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. They all have something in common. All of them are from the Old Testament. They ran their races before Jesus was even sent to the world. For this reason, they were commended for the lives of faith they lived because not one of them saw the fulfillment of God's promise to them. And yet they ended their days faithful and with a certain hope for what was to come rather than bitter that their lives experience fell short of what they were running their race for. These are the witnesses that surround us. Some interpret this passage in the sense that all those greats are looking down on us, watching us run our race, like fans in the stands of the stadium of life. And that is an awesome picture. Just picture Abraham shouting your name, encouraging you to keep going. It gets us pretty excited, doesn't it? We don't know, however, if this is actually what heaven looks like. But did you know that Jesus is praying for you? He is praying for the perseverance of your faith. Hebrews 7.25 says, he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf, on our behalf. It kind of puts that interpretation into perspective because after all, who is greater than Jesus? Also, it should never be about us or them, it should be about Jesus. And can I suggest that whether or not these witnesses are looking down on us, it is certainly true that we are able to look to them. And what then is the witness? The witness means their testimony. 
we are surrounded by those who give testimony to Jesus. And their testimony is that he is worthy of persevering faith. The way that they ran their race and finished their race tells us that Jesus was worth it because he was the unfulfilled promise they were waiting on. And they did not waver, even though they had even less revelation to go on than we do today. They had so much less to go on. Let's continue reading verse one. I stopped us really short there, so let's keep reading. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What hinders us? And what is the sin that so easily entangles? At the time this passage was written, the competitive runners would strip down to a loincloth. They would literally remove everything possible so that they could run their best. And this is how seriously we are to take the call to throw everything off. I already alluded to one thing that hinders us at the beginning of this message, and it was our culture of instant gratification. We have no basic training in what it means to persevere, because generally speaking, in our Western world, we are living in the good season. So let's begin with talking about how to persevere in good seasons. It sounds a bit funny, because when we think of persevering, we usually think to difficulty but it is equally as hard to persevere in the good times. There are many reasons for this, and the specifics vary from person to person, but I'll name a few that stuck out to me. The first is independence. We start to believe we don't need God. And I'm not saying we necessarily acknowledge that this is what we are doing, but when things are good, it is easier to ignore Him. Why would we need to pray, read the Bible, Go to church. Why would we give time, energy, and resources to this race? When life is good, we don't need to place our immediate hope elsewhere. A second reason might be distraction. Maybe a more spiritual word could be idols. It accompanies independence because once we are acting independent of God, anything can take his place. We have a void in us that is meant to be filled by him. And if it finds itself empty, we will try to fill it with other things. We all know what our things are. Relationships, material possessions, the job, the house, the car, the vacation, the education, to name a few. Discomfort is the third reason. We get comfortable with where things are at and we don't want that to be disrupted. And can I just add a quick encouragement? Comfort is easier to risk the sooner we do it. The more comfortable we get, the harder it gets because we are risking more. If you are young, don't wait. Don't wait for things to fall into place to see what excess you have to give to God. This can be a hard cultural thing to break free of because we are taught to live for the most comfortable time of our lives and to do everything it takes to make it the most comfortable scenario possible. But this is the rat race and not the race Jesus had called us to. And finally, the reason which is personal to me, fear. I know this sounds more like a reason that belongs in the bad season, but I have found it to be what hinders me in the good seasons. For me, it actually encompasses all the others. I fear risking my independence, my idols, and my comfort. 
A few years ago, us ladies were doing a Bible study on doing hard things. Some of you may remember. And there was an exercise in the book where we had to list the hardest thing of each season of our lives from birth forward. I can't remember exactly how it was divided up, but I listed the heart, as I listed the hardest things in these pre-made columns, I became overwhelmed at how many empty columns I had ahead of me in life. I became afraid of all the hard things that would be filled in the blank spaces of my future. You see, I had noticed the pattern that this race tends to have. The pattern we find in Hebrews 11 and all over the Bible. The pattern in every testimony and the life of every great person of faith that has ever been looked up to or had a story worth being written in a book. And it was that these runners all experienced and persevered through great hardship that grew their faith. Kind of like a cause and effect relationship. In that moment for me, there was a temptation to just cruise instead of sprint. Why risk going all in? To continue with the race analogy, why increase my pace and risk the difficulty or pain of running harder? I was tempted to believe that if I just cruised in the good season, I could steer clear of the bad season. And though it may be true that with greater faith can come greater difficulties, greater persecution, greater attacks from the enemy, it is also true that for those things, there is a greater revelation of Jesus to sustain us and more of him is all we could ever hope for. We'll come back to that as I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the good season. Why would we ever assume that that was what we were meant to pursue? Tyron challenged us with this question when he was here last and backed it up by, asked, by asking if we were reading our Bibles. Let's do that and go back to Hebrews 11 and read what the faithful persevered through. Let's read verses 32 through 35. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Are you feeling excited again? These are amazing things that I want to witness firsthand and be part of in my lifetime, whatever that looks like in the 21st century. Restoration Church wants to take part in these things, but we won't get to witness them cruising. Let's read between the lines. Before a conquered kingdom, you must go through a battle. Before administered justice, you have to face injustice. In order to shut the mouths of lions, you have to face lions, plural. To quench the fury of the flames and escape the edge of the sword, you have to face the flames and the sword. To receive the dead back to life, you have to first grieve death. In reading between these lines, we see that the heights of faith are not so far from the valleys. And the line between what is a good season and what is a bad season is pretty blurry. But both require perseverance in order to cultivate a thriving faith. 
God delights in us in the good seasons. And if he has gifted you with a season where your burden is light, then praise God, steward it well. Do not become independent of him, distracted by idols, in love with comfort, or fearful of what is to come. Instead, continue to believe that he is worthy of your dependence, devotion, discomfort, and risk. Use your light burden to run faster. Persevere in faith. Okay, time to address the bad seasons. I think we need to start by fully addressing our expectations for this race we've signed up for. We have a little bit, but let's go, let's go farther because our expectations can hinder us. It is much harder to persevere in difficult circumstances when we never expected difficulty. And I think sometimes we believe that because Jesus is in our lives, everything will be okay. And though that is deeply true, I think our expectations of what that looks like can at times be misguided and even wrong. I was recently listening to a podcast. I listen to podcasts a lot. I think some of you are catching on to that. But I was recently listening to a podcast interviewing a missionary to the Muslim world. And she shared that when a Muslim converts to Christianity through their ministry, they ask them two questions up front. The first is, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? If the answer is yes, the follow-up question is, are you willing to die for Jesus? The threat of suffering and death is very real in a physical sense to these converts. Maybe not so much to us, but I think we should be asking ourselves the same questions. This is what we signed up for when we said yes to Jesus, and Jesus never hid that reality from us. He said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross was heavy and it meant certain death. So we should not be surprised when we encounter this season. And what is more, we should expect it. The second half of that paragraph from Hebrews 11, where we just read about the incredible feats of the faithful is very telling. Let's read verses 35 through 38 now. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. The race we are in is not linear. It is not on a smooth track. We don't even get to count the laps. It is more like a cross-country race. It is uphill and downhill with varying weather conditions, and the finish line is not visible for the majority of the race. Now that we have adjusted our expectations, we know we can expect suffering. But suffering is not necessarily a hindrance. It is not what we are being told to throw off. So what is? I've been reading a book called Hind's Feet on High Places. A hind was an old English word for a deer, but deer's feet on high places didn't sound as good, I guess. So anyways, this, it was an allegory. It's an allegory for this faith journey or race as we've been calling it. The heroine, her name, is much afraid 
and she walks with a limp and is not impressive in any way, shape, or form. But she longs to follow the shepherd out of the valley and into the high places of the kingdom. The shepherd is delighted and promises her feet like hind's feet in the place of her own, so she can walk with ease on the high places with him forever. The journey is treacherous, and the shepherd gives much afraid two guides who are much stronger than she to help her reach the high places. The guide's names are suffering and sorrow. Please hear me in the gentlest way possible because there are unthinkable things that happen in this broken world, and I'm not saying that God causes them, but he is sovereign over them. And if he has made an allowance for suffering or sorrow, then it is only because he intends to redeem it in such a way that is better than if it had never happened. Suffering and sorrow were the best way for Much Afraid to reach the high places. The hindrances that she had to repeatedly throw off were her relatives that were trying to drag her back down to the valley by shouting lies about the shepherd and herself to discourage her and make her doubt. This is strictly an allegory, so please don't apply this to your actual relatives. But these were their names. Resentment, bitterness, self-pity, pride, and fear. The tricky thing about this was that the relatives were trying to drag her back to the valley, but the shepherd also had her going through valleys. So the lies were almost believable. The difference was that the valleys the shepherd guided her through with suffering and sorrow were for the purpose of reaching the high places. Suffering will only hinder us if we do not see it in light of our reward, the shepherd, Jesus. If you notice lies creeping in, throw them off and choose to persevere. This will enable you to run the race forward. Anything else will do the exact opposite. Throw off everything that hinders. What we are finally told to throw off in this verse is sin. Let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles. We will encounter this issue in our race regardless of the circumstantial season we find ourselves in. We were born into sin. It is in us. We mess up all the time and will continue to. Thank goodness our salvation is covenantal and not conditional. It is not dependent on us. Along these lines, can I offer some encouragement this morning? I know this is a tough topic, and maybe like me, you are feeling the weight of failing in the past, or maybe you are feeling that you're being currently tested in the season where you find yourself. If that is you, I want to encourage you by contrasting two giants in the faith. One is Abraham, because he is the poster child for faith. And the second is Peter, because he is the poster child for messing up. I don't fully mean that, but you know. When we talk about the faith of Abraham, we think about how he left his homeland, not knowing where he was going because God asked him to. And then we think about how he was even willing to sacrifice his promised son, Isaac, because God asked him to. But do you remember what happened between these two aced tests of faith? Abraham took matters into his own hands because he had not yet received the son God had promised him. It seemed impossible. He took a shortcut and had a son with Sarah's servant girl. He broke the covenant. 
This was a huge failing that caused immediate consequences as well as consequences that are ongoing today. God, on the other hand, was faithful to the covenant he had made with Abraham, and Isaac was born. But then he asks Abraham to make a journey up the mountain and sacrifice Isaac to him on an altar. I can't imagine a greater test of faith. And this is where the encouraging part comes in. God was not testing Abraham because he needed to know that Abraham was fully committed to him. God knows all things, and he already knew exactly where Abraham's faith was at. He was also not punishing him for his past failing and demanding Abraham make it up to him. God is not cruel. He was orchestrating an opportunity for Abraham to persevere that would give Abraham the opportunity to see God's faithful love toward him once again, and an opportunity for Abraham to see how his faith had grown since the last test, which was so small in comparison, where he had failed to persevere. I have come to understand this test of faith to be similar to Peter's reinstatement. Peter denied Jesus three times after living with a front row seat to his power and prophecy of what was to come for three years. His denial of Jesus devastated him. He failed. But Jesus reinstates him by asking him three times, do you love me? Giving him the opportunity to respond three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And finally, gifting him the charge of feeding his sheep and prophesying that he would indeed die for Jesus in the end. Jesus not only restores Peter, but he gives him the ability to persevere through greater tests of faith, which would accomplish greater things for the kingdom. If God is allowing your faith to be tested, be encouraged. It is only because there is great purpose for it. Persevere. The only outcome for perseverance is a stronger faith. And if you have failed to persevere in the faith, be encouraged. Jesus will not fail in his faithfulness to you and he wants to reinstate you in this race. You are not disqualified. Jesus invites you to keep running and to run harder than ever before, spurred on by a fresh revelation of his faithful covenantal love toward you that makes him all the more worthy. Now that we are back on our feet, what should we do? What does it actually look like to run this race, to persevere in faith? Let's read our remaining verses, verses two and three, and we're back in Hebrews 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The first thing we need to do according to this passage is fix our eyes on Jesus. I wanna start with a quick reminder that if you can fix your eyes on someone, it means that they are with you. Jesus is with you. I don't know if someone needed to hear that this morning, but I know I need to hear that every day. And this Jesus is our ultimate example. Even though we have a cloud of witnesses to look to, Jesus is the ultimate example as the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He ran his race from start to finish perfectly. If we are fixing our eyes on something, it also means we are not looking at other things. 
and Jesus had his sights set higher. We are fixing our eyes on he who was looking ahead. He was looking ahead at two things, the joy set before the finished work of the cross and to being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In following his example, we must set our sights higher. We see that he endured the ultimate shame and agony of the cross, first for the joy of what that would accomplish, which was the redemption of souls for all eternity. And secondly, he was looking to being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This should enable us to persevere through any shame and suffering as we realize that we are the redeemed, the joy of Jesus. And also knowing from Ephesians 2.6 that we too are seated in heavenly places. We too are seated in heavenly places. We must look to the heavenly things. The promise of an eternity with Jesus, our reward. You know how when you are using scissors to cut along a line, it is better to look ahead at where you will be cutting than to look immediately down at where the scissor blades are doing their cutting? It takes a measure of trust, faith if you will, to look ahead, but you will find that if you look at the blades doing the cutting, the result will most likely be shaky at best. Fixing your eyes for the race of faith is like that. Do not get caught up in your immediate earthly surroundings. Do not persevere for them. This world will tell you to prioritize many things, your relationships, finances, material possessions, education, the rat race, not bad things, but these are not worthy of your faith. They will ultimately disappoint. And for sure, do not look to the right or the left. And by this, I, I mean, do not get caught up in comparing yourself to those around you, whether it be spiritually or in the way the world measures success. This will only slow you down. Do not let anything take Jesus's exemplary place in your life, not even the good things. For example, the church, not this church, the church. Um, Jesus loves the church and it is his plan for accomplishing his purposes on earth. But the church cannot be our primary example because it's made up of imperfect people. And if our eyes are fixed on the people, leaders, celebrities, and even Christian culture that make up the global church, then when the imperfections and failings begin to come through, we will be unable to persevere. Another example could be blessings. We believe all our blessings are from God, but not that they are a sign of the health of our faith or what we are persevering for. If our eyes are fixed on people and things of this world, then when they fail, we will not persevere and we will follow them, possibly into a valley never intended for us and certainly away from a persevering faith in Jesus. We must at all times and in every season fix our eyes on Jesus, our constant, never changing, ever present, perfect example of perseverance and faith. So consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus has not called us to persevere in anything he has not also endured. He did not need to do this because he is God, but from a human perspective, I think we can see here that he has earned the right to ask us to persevere. And what is more, he promises us joy in following his example. 
First Peter 4.13 says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We too can rejoice because we are looking ahead to a time when the glory, the glory is what makes him worthy, to when the glory of Jesus is revealed and our perseverance will make our joy that much greater. Like the cloud of witnesses gone before us, we might not have the full picture now, but there is a promise that we will never regret any effort or any sacrifice we made to persevere, no matter how great or how small, whether it be in giving our time, finances, social status, our lives, you name it. We won't regret the sacrifice or the suffering because there is a promise to redeem it that is worthy. And this promise will hold true. Sometimes we get to see the full picture in the here and now, or at least a picture we can make sense of and we think it's so cool and we write it up as a testimony and share it as a testimony and we deem God worthy because he's so good and we can see it. But I would argue that this is just a glimpse and the hard unanswered things that have happened in this broken world, those things left undone until eternity, yes, even that, whatever you are imagining right now, will be even more fully fulfilled and wildly redeemed in eternity. And we won't even be able to stand in awe because we will be on our faces, worshiping with a full revelation of how worthy Jesus is. What we could not comprehend on earth was simply beyond earth. And everything we persevered through on earth for the sake of Jesus will have been eternally and infinitely worth it. He is our great reward and we are his. You can't outgive Jesus. He has given us everything and has not withheld even himself. But let's try. Whether you need to join the race, get back up on your feet, pick up the pace, or maintain your sprint, I am urging you this morning to believe that Jesus, our reward, is worthy. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are worthy. Thank you for this morning and the way your word has come through. I just pray for everyone here, Lord, whether they find themselves in a good season or a bad season. I just pray for their perseverance, Lord, that they would persevere in faith, that there would be a deep revelation of who you are, of your worthiness, God. I just pray that they would receive that this morning, that your refreshing would come through. I ask for help to keep our eyes fixed on you. When things are, are cloudy, when it is hard, 
or when we are distracted, God, I pray that we would be drawn back to you, drawn back to you and what you have done for us, and that we would fix our eyes and that we would run with perseverance. I pray that we would go this morning, go forth this morning with a deeper revelation and stronger in our faith than ever before. And I pray if there's anyone here that has not yet understood this, that does not know you, I just ask that their eyes would be opened and that they, would be, they too would be able to fix their eyes on you. Thank you for your goodness and your love and your care for us. We worship you. You are so worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.